Hello, everyone, and welcome to HR Works, the podcast for HR professionals. We really appreciate you taking time out of your busy day to join us. I'm the host of HR Works, Jim Davis, and the editor of the HR Daily Advisor. This podcast aims to put valuable tools and knowledge into the hands and ears of you, the HR professional. And those tools will arm you with the best methods and strategies for attracting, motivating, and retaining top talent. We all know that getting culture right is an absolute must at any organization, but sometimes the stakes are higher than just a potential loss of motivation or high turnover. For example, when, when poor work cultures intersect with poor safety cultures, lives can be at risk, um, as any OSHA officer will tell you for sure. Um, I'm pleased today to be joined by Dr. Philip Mead. He's the co-owner and COO of Gallagher Edge. Uh, shall I call you Dr. Mead or is Philip fine? Either one is fine. Yeah, yeah, Philip is fine. Well, thank you so much, Philip, for joining us today. Oh, happy to be here. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. Can you briefly explain uh, what precisely happened? Yes. So the uh, Space Shuttle Columbia was uh, was destroyed on re-entry, returning to, to Earth. And what had actually happened was that a piece of foam came off of the external tank, which is that, that large orange tank that you see attached to the belly of the Space Shuttle. And it came off of that during the launch um, when it was um, taking off. And it hit the leading edge of the the wing of the of the uh, the space shuttle and put a hole in it as it was taking off. They didn't realize exactly what had happened. Uh, they they suspected that something had hit it, but they didn't know that it went all the way through the leading edge of the wing. And so when the 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 orbiter was returning, the hole in the edge of the wing allowed the super. It, you know, it, it comes back so fast that it actually the friction of the air. Going over the the surface of the uh, of the orbiter, um, it, it heats the the air up so so much that it it uh, creates a, a plasma. It allows that plasma, that superheated gas, to to go inside of the the orbiter and melt the structures in there, and it disintegrated the the vehicle on reentry, uh, killing all all seven astronauts. So it disintegrated over. Uh, Texas and Louisiana on on reentry and, and led to the the deaths of, of the crew, and so as a result of that, uh, an accident investigation board. They you know of course there has to be an uh, an acronym because it's it's NASA. It was called the CABE, the Columbia Accident Investigation Board. Uh, the CABE um, did this this long um, investigation. And what they found was that the uh, the culture of NASA was as much to blame for the accident as the foam that hit the leading edge of the wing, and so that that came as quite a shock to us, um, you know, because uh, just only a few months before the the accident occurred, NASA had been declared the best place in the federal government to work, and so, you know, this 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 was such a you know a huge surprise, and and so. This, this has been one of the, the key discoveries for me when it comes to organizational culture, because, you know, a lot of leaders, they think that, you know, organizational culture is just about having um, a great place to work, you know. And so if, if, if your, your employees are happy, then that means you have a great culture. And, and what we, we believe at um, Gallagher Edge is that, you know, organizational culture is, is really about having an effective culture which is, is about so much more. Yeah, it's, um, I, I do now recall that particular accident, especially the foam. You know, it's, and like with other accidents, it's always some tiny little thing 
that goes wrong, a screw off in the wrong place, a piece of foam comes off. And, you know, it can be easy to focus on that as, as a cause, but it's important to remember how much effort and time and work and, and you know, I don't even know, hundreds of thousands, millions of, time, of uh, man hours went into getting to that point, you yeah. know, and when you're talking about something as important as organizational culture, and in this case, you know, which really is the same as safety culture. I, I work in the HR and I have colleagues that work in safety. So we always kind of separate them, but really, I mean, they're, they're very well connected. The implications of, in this particular case, but in others too, a poor organization culture or or maybe just one that they didn't have a handle on. That's uh, that really does come down to a little thing like that. And, and what a what a consequence. Can you talk a little bit about sort of the details about why they found that there was there was a culture issue in addition to this much more tangible issue? Yeah. So you know when we talk about organizational culture, the reason that it's so so complex is that it's it's really an emergent property of an organization and, and when we talk about you know something being emergent it, it means that it's it's created not just by looking at the pieces and parts themselves it's it's really more about the interactions of the pieces and parts and so it's it's like the taste of sugar you know if i if i gave you oxygen and and carbon and hydrogen and i ask you to taste each one of those pieces individually and tell me what sugar tasted like. There's no way that you could do that, you know. But if if you put each one of those pieces together in just the right way, then then that's when the taste of sugar emerges. And culture is the same way. It's it's about how the pieces and parts of the 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 culture emerge. They work together to create that. And and it's about how the human beings in your organization. It's about how they work together to produce that that culture. And and so within an organization like NASA, it's about how does, how do the people work together? How do you have those, you know, those, those engineers working together? How do you have the, the, the traits that, that, that produce, um, you know, an effective organizational culture and, and, and really create that, that safety culture um, to where, where it produces safety. And so um, are you having those effective, um, conversations and do 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 um do the engineers feel like they're they're really being heard and do you have that um psychological safety that that allows that that kind of uh that kind of culture to emerge and and so you know we really want to focus on on creating an environment where we're producing you know a, a truly mature organizational culture and producing community where where people feel like they they are uh, trusted and and uh, have that kind of a, a unity where they're all working together for for the same type of a thing, and and you know diversity where where we have different voices that are that truly feel you know included and and are being heard. Yeah, I completely completely agree. Um, it's something I've given a lot of thought to, and one of the things that I've concluded, um, which I you know I could be wrong, but is that the impetus or the the sort of the the disease if you will of poor culture or misaligned culture starts with a very concrete need to achieve whatever your whatever your company's goals are whether it's to hit a certain quarterly you know earning milestone whether it's to launch a shuttle at a very specific date 
there's a lot of pressure that's being put on even the people at the top of an organization by, I mean, in the case of NASA, by all kinds of oversight organizations uh, internally. You have leaders, other leaders that, you know, they want things to succeed. But even in a, in a more ordinary organization, you have board members, you have, if you're, you know, publicly traded, you have um, all kinds of pressures to succeed. And then that gets put directly on the top person or top people. And then this is a kind of a trap. It's saying you have to achieve this thing and achieving it the right way, if you want to call it that, or achieving it with a, a, the nuanced grace that's required in order to do it in a sort of humane way is not easy. Or I would argue even automatic. I think it's it's with such goal-oriented motivations, it's so easy to just then directly link what you need to do to a very simple set of instructions, which is do what you got to do to make it work. We'll make it work. And and then we'll move on to the next thing. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you're pulling on, on the exact point I'm making. And when I talk about emergence and about the, the point that, you know, there's a difference between an effective culture and just saying, you know, oh, we want to have a good culture, which means people are happy. And, and, you know, we were rated the best place in the federal government to work. And then, and then we just, you know, immediately turn around and, and, and kill seven astronauts, you know, three months later, you know, how does all of that, how does all of that make sense? You know, well, that's what I mean when I say that culture is an emergent property and an effective culture, a truly effective culture would have been in a, a safe culture. And so let's, let's play this out. You know, NASA has some of the, the, smartest, most dedicated employees in the world, where one of our biggest problems was trying to force people to, to, to use their, their annual leave every year, right? And rated the best place in the federal government to work. And we worked in an environment where we were under a th threat of constant program cancellation, year after year, budget cuts, mm. constant resource um, constraints, schedule pressure, um, individuals who had, at the time, there was a uh, screensaver that had a countdown clock on it for core complete for the ISS that were, we were trying to, uh, you know, launch shuttles to try and meet that, um, to try and uh, get, get uh, that particular politically driven date um, to, to meet that and a belief that if we didn't uh, get the next shuttle out the door on time, that there was a potential that we could, you know, see program cancellations, a uh, type A personality um, within the shuttle workforce that had a, uh, you know, do or die type of a, a personality, very, 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 uh, you know, strong you know, belief that they have to save the world kind of a, a mentality, which has a dark mm. side to it, right? So yeah. all of this, you take all of these these different ingredients and you you, you put that together and, and what is, you know, just like the taste of sugar, you know, what is the emergent property when, when you, you put all of these things together and shake it up in a room when, when a piece of foam hits and you're, and you're put into a room and you're trying to make decisions, you know what are the cognitive biases that that are occurring inside of the brains of the humans when you're when you're making decisions in, in a in a pressure cooker environment like that 
you know? Well, let me let me boil it down in, in a, a sort of an analogy type of a situation for you to, to illustrate the type of cognitive bias that's that's at play here. You know, if, if I took you up to the top of the Empire State Building and there was a beam that was cantilevered out into midair, and at the end of this beam, I had a thousand dollars that was duct taped out at the end of that, and you know. And I said to you, you know, if you walk out to the end of this unassisted and, and pull that thousand dollars off of there, you can have it. Would you be willing to do it? Hell no. All right. All right. <laughs> but um, other people who maybe aren't as terrified of heights would. <laughs> I'd think about it. I don't I don't know you personally, but do you, do you have a son or daughter? I do. Do I have a daughter? You have a daughter. If I took your daughter and put her out at the end of that beam, and I and I said, um, "Your daughter's out at the end of this beam. You need to go out and get her." Would, would you? Would you go out to the end of the beam and, and get her? I would. You would. would. Okay. So, so what what I have done is I've introduced a, a, a slight cognitive bias in your decision making, where I've elevated, you know the the reward versus risk trade-off right in your mind and it's the same thing is happening in the minds of these these engineers when when they feel like that you know if this if you think of the, the shuttle program as as their baby and they're under extreme pressure and they feel like if they don't make a decision to save this program, right? If they if they don't make this under this extreme schedule pressure, and that and if you know they don't execute this, that this program is going to be canceled. You know, it starts to introduce these biases. Now, this example I gave is a little extreme, but I'm just trying to show how these cognitive biases get introduced. And sure. and so so this is how these 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 cultural these cultures where you have a lot of great things happening, but you have these emergent properties start to, to, to grow and, and take shape. And so you can have a lot of good things happen and you can have bad things happen in a good culture. And so we want to think in terms of effectiveness, you know, and how, how are we having effective cultures taking shape? And effectiveness for NASA means a safe, safe launch, right? Yeah. This particular one's interesting. I am not familiar with what exactly caused the foam to come off. Was that the cultural failure or was the cultural failure where they didn't do something about it afterwards? I mean, I presume that while the shuttle was up there, maybe something could have been done to yeah. prevent it from exploding on reentry. So the cultural failure was twofold. The cultural failure was the fact that we had seen foam shedding for um, a number of flights, a lot and had chosen um, not to do anything about it. Um, so that is what's called a, a normalization of deviance. It's, it's kind of colloquially termed as the boiling frog syndrome, even, even though yes. I've, I've recently learned that that's kind of been debunked, that a, a, a frog <laughs> will actually jump out of, of water if it starts getting hot. I, I've never actually tested that, but you know, we, we should have had things in place. We should have had systems in place that would have prevented us from just getting comfortable with foam coming off repeatedly on numerous flights and hitting the shuttle and just saying, well, you know, 
the fact that it hasn't caused a problem yet is proof that it must be okay. That is not sound engineering practice. Right. You know, we, we should have, we should have um, done something previously. So that, that is one cultural failure. And the other cultural failure that we had was the fact that over the course of 16 days, um, we never took a step to definitively determine whether or not there was a problem. Um, that's that's kind of the ostrich putting its head in the sand effect, right? You know, and this is another this is another form of you know issue that that you know we look at with our consulting firm, right? And, you know, one of the one of the issues that we as humans have is that you know when it's a defense mechanism when when we think that we can't do anything about something then a defense mechanism is that we will choose to become blind to it, right? Yeah. As, a, as a defense mechanism, you know, I will choose to lower my self-awareness. You know, low self-awareness is a defense mechanism. And so as, as human beings and as leaders, you know, low self-awareness is, is a defense mechanism. And it causes a lot of, a lot of challenges within organizations and with, within, you know, us as humans and as, as leaders. And so one of the things that we try to do is, is to help leaders and to help organizations increase their self-awareness um, because it increases the effectiveness of, of individuals, leaders, and organizations. Man, I know that, I know that instinct well. It's taken a lot of work to, uh, to overcome it. Before I, you know, when I was in college, before I entered sort of the, my career path and I always had no money, I just didn't want to look at my bank account, for example, yeah. it's just best not to know. I would, so my learning for when I was out of money was when I was paying for something. And despite all the negative consequences of that, and there were plenty, because um, it's very expensive to be poor in America, you know, the overdraft fees and the, you know, running out of gas in places and things like that. I just kept doing it, you know, yeah. and you really have to focus and say, I have to be okay to look at the bad thing and then accept that I might not like what I see yep. and be ready in that moment to make a change. Yes. And that is very difficult. Yep. You, you have to work on it. Yep. And you imagine at a cultural, you know, at an organizational level, you don't have to do that for one person. You have to do that for all of the people. Yep. How would you accomplish something like that? So, so our, our culture model has, uh, there's four strands to our culture model. And the, the first strand that we like to work on um, is the maturity strand. And it focuses on the self. And our self model has, has um, three, three links in it. And those, those three links are self-awareness, self-accountability, and self-acceptance. And so the first step really is self-acceptance. And so when I have self-acceptance, that really is the key. That, that means that, that I am okay with me right now, just as I am. A lot of times people think that if, if I allow myself to be okay with, I, with myself right now as I am, that somehow that's going to suddenly mean that I'll stop working on myself. I'm just going to become this slug and I'm going to put on pajamas and sit on my couch and start eating potato chips and, and never do anything else. But, but that's not really true. You know, I, I can be okay with myself and recognize that I still want to improve and grow, right? 
it's called paradox theory, right? I can, I can be okay with myself and recognize that I can improve at the same time. And so self-acceptance is, is a wonderful thing. It, it is, is freeing. And I can say, I, I can be okay with myself as I am. And then that allows me to open my eyes and see that there are gaps and that I want to improve. And so then this self-awareness that I now have that, um, I can see these gaps without it being painful because as we discussed earlier, when I see these gaps without self-acceptance, it hurts. I don't want to look at it. So I choose to look away. Right. Right. So when I can see the self, see the gaps that I have that, that I want to improve on without it being painful, then, then I can choose, then I can choose to work on it. Um, and then the third piece, which you, you already alluded to is self, self, um, accountability, when I can own that and I can be accountable for it, then I can have choice and I can choose to work on it. And when I when I have greater greater self accountability and greater choice, and when I assume more choice in my life, then then that opens up a, a huge door, and I can can choose to to uh, take ownership for more of my life and and go out and and really make a greater impact. So those those are the three three big steps, and so. We, we look at it as sort of a, a Venn diagram. And so when we overlap those three things, you know, me, me being the, the, the rocket scientist nerd, you know, I, I think of it as, you know, fuel, spark and oxidizer. You know, when you combine those three things, you get that explosion and it really takes off. And now a little bit of information about our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Namely. Your HR platform should make your life easier. That's what Namely does. Namely is the all-in-one HR platform that employees and employers love. Namely is modernizing HR as we know it. Whether you have 50 or 1,000 employees, Namely is the HR solution that can grow with your company. With Namely's intuitive, centralized platform, your employees can request PTO, update their benefits, review their pay stub. There's even a news feed where they can stay engaged and show appreciation for coworkers. Plus, Namely can handle everything related to payroll, simplify onboarding, and keep your company compliant, saving your HR team hours every week. Best of all, Namely specialists make switching headache-free, so you can move from your current HR platform, even a fully outsourced professional employer and organization, or PEO, to a more modern tech solution. Build a better workplace with Namely today, and for a limited time, get free implementation and PEO transition services when you make the switch from a PEO. Go to Namely.com today. That's Namely.com. And now, back to our episode. In this case, a good explosion. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> super, sorry, uh, I couldn't help myself. Um, I also love, I'm a, not a rocket scientist, but I do love rockets and space. And I, I play uh, this game, Space uh, Kerbal Space Program. I don't know if you're familiar with it. Uh, it's, it's a physics simulator where you build rocket ships and, you know, mostly just they don't work. Uh-huh. Uh, and you have to learn actual principles of rocketry to get like delta v and angles of approach and the curvature of the all this stuff yeah just to get things into space and that's like a huge accomplishment just getting up there and then or you gotta learn orbit you gotta learn how to dock you gotta learn how to build bases and, and sa- it's, wow. it's fantastic Sounds really great. fun um it's pretty affordable too check it out I, I thought for sure seeing the Yoda thing in the background that maybe, maybe you would have known, um, which is probably one of my favorite my favorite quotes. My other favorite quote being, "You must do what you feel is right." Of course, that Kenobi says to yeah. Luke yeah. the very first time, 
with reservations. You know, he's almost a little disappointed when he says it, but I feel like that's being a good a good dad. Anyway, um, <laughs> not to get too far off point here. <laughs> I think that, you know, when we look at a situation like this, it's so extreme. And organizations out there might be saying, well, okay, you know, maybe we have problems. Um, and almost certainly you do because your culture exists, whether you're addressing it or not. And bad culture, as we've talked about, can exist even when you are addressing it. They might be thinking, well, this is all a little bit much. And I, I don't, you know, that's not a concern that we have. How transferable is what happened and, and what's the work that you did after uh, the disaster to your everyday organization where the stakes maybe aren't so high? So, you know, it's it's 100% transferable because, you know, we get this question a lot and we, at the end of the day, boil this down to human beings. I mean, if you have human beings in your organization, then this, this is transferable to you. And, you know, the work that we do and, and the, 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 the model that we have, it's, it is, it's tied to these, these fundamental human drivers and, and the, the, the science of, of human behavior. And, and that's what, creates organizational culture and that's that's what it all emerges from and uh the model that that we've created for uh for organizational culture it's it's based on you know we we have uh uh four four basic human drivers that it's tied to uh the you know the driver for growth respect human connection and identity and and that's what human beings they're all, all human beings are, are driven for those, those four things within an organization. And, and when you connect human beings together with those, those drivers, and then out of that emerges the, the traits at the organizational level of maturity, diversity, community, and unity. That's when you get a really strong organizational culture. And, uh, you know that's that's universal across all organizations. It doesn't matter whether you're a you know a, a high tech organization like NASA or you know a, a low tech organization. It really it really doesn't matter as long as there's human beings involved. I mean, you know, there's there's been a tremendous amount of research done across all all different organizations, and it, it really just it goes back to those those basic human human needs and and uh, what drives us all. I want to uh, briefly discuss the roadblocks towards getting started down this this route. I guarantee you that right now, amongst my listeners, or at least when this goes live, they're going to say, yeah, that's never going to work here because so-and-so, whether it's their CEO or CFO or whoever it is, uh, doesn't, doesn't have that kind of uh, awareness to accept that we need to make changes. Or maybe they do, but they are reticent to make changes. There's a they're looking at roadblocks. HR always has to overcome them. What advice do you have for someone in that position, assuming that the situation can be salvaged and that you know, because there are, I think there are leaders out there that might be, and this is my cynical side, might be unrecoverable. But I think most people, even the ones that have been led astray or that have have become toxic or have become difficult 
it's a really just a matter of perspective. If you can get them to see things the right way, you know, you can move towards a, a positive direction. So in those instances, what advice do you have for, for HR people as they try and affect change at their organization? That's a, it's a, that's a hard question to answer because every situation is, is different. And right. so, so it's hard to, hard to just answer in, in the generic, <laughs> of course, you know, I would say that what I've seen is, you know, the work that we do is experiential and that, and that's the reason that it's, it's transformational. And so, so that, so when, when we see people come into our workshops, if they're willing to, if they're willing to engage, um, we've seen even you know, even the most cynical individuals be transformed through engaging in the experiential work. Mm. Now, you know, if, if you're a, if you're an individual who's trying to affect change and you have someone who's cynical and they're, if you're in HR and you have a CEO who's cynical, you know, then that's a tough position to be in. You know, I, you know, if you can't get them to ex- participate in something, you know, then that, then that's, that's hard. You know, I, I don't know. Your, your best bet is if you can get them to participate in something or, you know, whatever. But it, it is a little bit of an unfair question. And thank you for tackling it. I've asked a quite a few people um, something like this because it's, you know, it's the reality for a lot of a lot of professionals out there is that they have great people in an organization, you know, and they have a, a leader who, um, for whatever reason, and there's a lot of ways that you can get to this point. Um, just isn't formatting with the need, the very realistic needs of where the organization needs to go. You know, some people I've talked to have said, come up, come up with a reason to hire some, to bring in a consultant or to bring in someone from the outside, not for necessarily the reason you want it to be, to get an objective, you know, that you're not overtly saying, well, I think you got a big problem. So I'm going to bring in this guy to fix your problem. You know, um, say we hear some losses that we're having in retention or turnover. We want to bring in an expert to assess the situation so that you have that objective viewpoint, which can sometimes give somebody the impetus they need just because it's coming from outside. And I've had a lot of people say, just quit, go to another organization. I mean, I think that's probably the most common response I get when you have a toxic boss and you can't, you know, and they're, they're interfering, just go somewhere else and... I am, I am actually myself quite cynical, but I feel like there's got to be a road, road to recovery. And like you say, each situation's individual, so there is no real answer, but I have to ask it anyway, you know? Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's hard. It's hard. I mean, we, we teach a model of, of openness and, and so, uh, you know, part of, part of what we would suggest before you just quit is, is, uh, is, you know, truly being open with uh, with the individual that you're you're trying to, to change and and doing that in a way that comes from from uh, from genuine openness, which uh, which we which we believe is is talking about yourself, not talking about the other person, and, and sharing your your personal experience. You know, so so being yeah. all open is is talking about you and sharing your experience, not not telling them about themselves, right? So, uh, which can be challenging and, and vulnerable. So absolutely. I, that's a lesson I had to learn myself because when you're in an argument you get so defensive, the, the instinct is to start saying, you do this, you do, you do that. Yeah. And I remember at one point making a conscious decision to just 
not say you in an argument, not in that way to try and explain the situation objectively or to talk about my, my involvement with it. And, uh, you know, it really did help. It helped a lot. It takes that, that most immediate, the conflict out of there and, and replaces it with something that's still, you know, emotional and, and highly charged, but maybe there's a way to, to move forward together on it. Any, anything, anything, I guess I have one last question and then I'll ask you if there's anything left over that you, uh, cause I'm sure there's plenty of stuff that we didn't talk about, but is there anything that people should really avoid as they might be trying to affect change in their organization? Cause you know, like you're saying, you can have a good organization and bad things can happen. Um, you know, a good organizational culture and bad things can happen. Uh, when you start taking the reins and, and trying to make changes, I think the potential for damage is high. Do you have any sort of general don'ts for people that are sort of trying to trying to get started? Gosh, there's so many. <laughs> I mean, don't be a bull in the China in a China shop. It's kind of funny that you're uh, you're you're. You're throwing me off a little bit by, by framing it in a negative um, as a don't. Um, it's my specialty. I want to say do listen. I mean, a big part of it is is listening. Well, then let's do it that way. What should you absolutely do? So do, do listen. You know, do be genuine. Do be vulnerable. Do make sure that you, uh, you know, focus on, uh, focus on, on, on the, the people and, uh, you know, understand the culture, uh, you know, exists between the ears of the, uh, the individual employees and, and that's where, it, where it lives and, and that it emerges from the, the interactions of, of those beliefs. Realize that, uh, effective culture is, uh, is one that produces a, a high level of employee engagement, positively impacts the quality of employees' lives and is a significant driver of organizational performance and market success. Good answers. Yeah. And uh, I guess the last thing is that everything starts from the inside out, you know, starts with the self. It does. It does. I think HR, I mean, I know HR is uniquely poised to, to see the landscape for what it is. You know, and that's part of the reason that I enjoy enjoy talking about them and, and trying to support them so much is because, for one, they get a, a bad rap, a real bad rap. I mean, if you're an employee, HR is the enemy. Um, I think generally speaking, when I, you know, when I look online and go to forums, I follow both HR forums. I follow anti-work forums. I follow recruiting forums just to see what people are saying. Nobody trusts trust them. And it's, it's, I think it's a little unfair because yes, they're there for the company. Of course. I mean, you're all, you all are, you're an employee at the organization, but they are many of them. Many of the ones I've talked to are really looking at the employees and trying to, trying to find a way to, to get them to feel safe and comfortable and respected in their organization. But it's, that's not all that it is because right behind them, is you know those quarterly reports and the and the leader is saying we got to do this this and this and the, the constant change that happens that's so destructive, um, but often necessary. The mergers and the 
reorgs and the that stuff is just it's so hard to navigate and it's easy i think it'd be easy to forget about the people in the middle of that and what makes hr people at least the ones that i talk to so remarkable is that they often don't forget that when they're in the middle of it all anyway i think it's about all the time we have i don't know if you have any final thoughts that you want to want to say i forgot one don't 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 think that uh, don't think that you can uh, don't think that culture is about buying a ping pong table and putting it in the lock, in, the, in the break room. <laughs> you know that's hilarious. I uh, it's funny. Ping pong has become like the villain because it's always it was you know once the startups happened the uh, the you know computer startups or uh, internet startups that was what they always did right. It was the ping pong table and it became this emblem of like what just what not to do because it i'll give another example Uh, amazon recently talked about building these sort of quiet booths in their warehouses that you can go into that's somehow supposed to help you and it's even if they were somehow psychologically uh calming you don't have time to go in them yeah you know and if you do people are gonna judge you i mean especially at a place like that where you use a metric for everything you do um, your your fill your fill time. How quickly do you get those packages out? Is tracked to the second. So you you could have all the relaxation in the world that you want right over there, but it doesn't matter if you can't go there. Yeah. In fact, yeah. that can make it worse. Yeah, we worked <laughs> we worked with one company that uh, they bought a I think it was a ping pong table. It may have been some other kind of gaming table. It was so funny. They bought it and they put it in this room that had like a glass wall. And like, like the management would like glare at people if they played it, <laughs> like they would, they were mad, you know, and they didn't, you know, they were mad at people if they played it. And then the employees got, got mad because they thought that management just put it there as a ploy to try and force them to work extra hours to keep them <laughs> later. It was, it was just so funny, it, you know, yeah, Both sides of- were mad at the other other for it being there. It was just- <laughs> uh, talking about it backfiring. It's a, it becomes an, a very real and physical emblem on both sides of what's wrong with everybody, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, that's a great story. Well, um, Philip, thank you really very much. I really enjoyed our conversation for for joining us today. Yeah, I enjoyed it too. Um, Listeners, we're always interested in suggestions that you might have for what HR Works should cover next. Please feel free to reach out to us on Twitter at HR Works Podcast with your suggestions of any thoughts or concerns you might have about the podcast. Feel free to say hi. Tell us how we're doing. Um, We're also now available on Spotify and Audible. uh, So basically, you can find us anywhere that podcasts can be found. Thank you for listening. This is Jim Davis with HR Works.